discussion guides that you've been getting have created, kind of prompted some conversation or at least some devotional time in your own life during this week or with your family uh, as well. I'll keep bringing those to you or sending those to you. We'll do that this week as well. But we've been hiding, uh, highlighting certain aspects of this passage, and here's the progression. We talked about the first week that our salvation is in Christ. And we talked about what that meant in Peter's terms. This deliverance is not just to take you out of whatever you're in and said, just take you out and remove it, but to be your deliverer within that and walk through it with you. And so the conclusion was that we declare your way is better, God. Your way is better. That was our first week two weeks ago. Last week we said, because we would say your way is better, then there's some behaviors that are kind of commonplace to us, kind of knee-jerk on how we deal with things. Don't do those things. They're not of benefit. They're not helpful for you looking to God's way and to seeing he's better. And as he wants to be your deliverer and your guide, these are going to be enemies of what he has to offer. So don't do those things. We walked through that last week. Instead, this week, here's what you should be about. Now, last week, he talked in terms of don't be about these things as, and it was kind of individualistic. This week, he says, but do these things, and you're going to see he puts this in the context of the body of believers. There's this assumption within Peter, and we see it also in Paul as well in his writings, that we are better together. And if we would track forward in God's ways together as a community of believers, that that is where the strength and the power of this comes. So we're going to jump through this and, and see what we're talking about. Now, you may be saying, hey, didn't at the beginning of this whole series you say this is about overcoming hardship and suffering and difficulty that we're in? Isn't that the theme of the book? Absolutely. As you've been reading that up till now, though, you know it only, it only pops up a couple little times in some verses till we get to the end of three, four as well, and you, you really see this come forward. Why? Because the logic here is if we would look to God and say, your way is better, if we would say, so don't respond to things this way and do these things, but instead do this, what we'll talk about this morning, it changes the way we face adversity, hardships, suffering, even persecution for the faith, which was their context as well. That's why we're establishing this, as Peter does, before we talk about that the final week of our series next Sunday. Sound good? Did I just give you enough time to get to 1 Peter 3? So I talked a lot there. You should be there by now, right? 1 Peter 3, I'm going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Now you might say, hey, last two weeks we started the beginning, and you're right. Uh, the beginning of chapter 3 is actually a progression to the end of chapter 2 on to chapter 3, and it talks about this submission and what it looks like to interact with each other in a very complex setup where he is ministering to mostly Gentiles, many who have become Christians. Many have become Christians like one person became a Christian, like a husband or a wife, and the rest of the family did not. And he is encouraging them how you interact with one another in there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together an extra devotional for you, extra teaching, a short one that addresses that so you understand when you read that, and you hear, you read a couple verses that you're like, oh, I don't like that submission verse. You understand what the context is and who he's talking to, because there's two different groups he talks to in two and three. So, but the progression of our teaching picks up in chapter three, verse 13. Here's what it says. 
Finally, all of you be of one mind, sympathetic, lovers of your fellow believers, compassionate, and modest in your opinion of yourselves. Don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. Instead, give blessing in return. You were called to do this so that you might inherit a blessing. A word of God for the people of God. So what Peter is getting at here is he's saying, now now here is how you should live it out in God. Here is his better way that we declared in week one, and as Peter writes in chapter one of this series here. So I want to do this. I want to look at just each one of these and just say, what does this actually look like for us? And since he puts it in the context of the church, let's say it this way, a life worth it in the church is this. This is what it looks like, this life worth it. This is so hard for us because as Americans, we are so individualistic in just about anything we do. Our mindset is that way. Even when we think about unity, we think about it in terms of, well, we might be together, right? We're just hanging out together. I just asked Rushi outside, do you normally hike alone? You know, when she said, yeah, yeah, most of my friends don't hike, right? And so let's say she did go with a friend. That's sometimes what we think about community and being one. I went with somebody else. I was with somebody else. I wasn't alone. It's so much deeper, though, in what we see Peter talking about, this unity and this connection. And so this is the way he starts. A life worth in the church. He starts his passage. Finally, all of you be of one mind. One mind. Now, when a group of guys gets together, sometimes the joke is, you know, like, hey, in that whole group, there's only one mind among you guys. And we're usually not talking about unity, right? We're talking about our maturity level when we get together as a bunch of guys. Peter is talking about unity, this connection, this oneness of mind. What Peter's actually saying is, in what he believes, is that the believer, the family of Christ, the church, as Jesus establishes it, and Paul goes on to coin it, that is what he's talking about, can actually be of one mind. They can be united together. United, why? Because their focus and that clear center point is Jesus. That's our center point. Listen, can I just be blunt with you? We're struggling with this in the contemporary church world. It is not that we don't have Jesus. I mean, that, that he's there, right? It's not that he doesn't find his significance, but sometimes our focal church in the contemporary church is uh, what style of music there might be and what does the stage look like and how, what's the kids programming like and, and uh, is the youth ministry pretty cool and, you know, how strong is the youth pastor and, you know, we're doing all right in that category, right? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, more workouts, I guess. That's how, this is like our focal point. Does the church reach my needs? Does the, word, the church feel good to me? Did I connect with that? So far that you just listen to the verbiage. The verbiage is often the Sunday morning experience. We, we've heard that term being used quite regularly, meaning what did you experience when you went on Sunday morning? Here, Peter is saying, look, the focus is Christ. And if the focus is Christ, we can be unified. I mean, can you imagine Peter and Paul having a conversation about how cool the youth ministry was or if their kids really enjoyed the Sunday school lesson this morning or did they sing the song? It seems ridiculous, right? Because we never see that. We see their focal point is Christ and the mission. And so because of that, 
Peter says, look, be of one mind, one focus. Now, this is not just Peter. Peter is actually picking up a theme. He's writing this, this book later on. He's picking up a theme that we see throughout. Paul speaks of this quite regularly. In fact, these, this list shows up. I put a lot of verses. I'm not going to read through them all. Let me highlight them, and then you can pick them up in your own devotions this week. In fact, you have it set up that Monday through Friday, you could actually pick up one of these terms Monday through Friday. You could just work through it this week uh, if you'd like to do that. Romans 12, 6, Paul is writing, and he reminds us, hey, we have a lot of different gifts. You are gifted in different ways. Some of you are gifted in the way you just process and think. You're very logical, and that's very helpful. Some of you have a skill set that is designed to help the church. We're all gifted in different ways. But Paul reminds us we are of the same body. Just as we look at the body, and an ear is different than an eye, they function as one body. They're not in competition. They cannot be in competition with each other. They need to help one another. One mind. Paul later says in Ephesians, preserve the unity of the spirit. Not just the unity of the church. He says the unity of the spirit, meaning that the focus is that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to us. And the Holy Spirit is not disunified. So if there is disunity among us, we may not be on the same page with the Spirit of God is leading us. Paul also writes in Philippians, this is a great example. It goes Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Let me just give you a kind of 1 and 2 there. But it is basically, he's saying, look, if you would have any hope or comfort in knowing Jesus, you need to be of one mind. Meaning you can't really understand what Jesus is about and what he's after unless you understand unity as well. And that you, for you to be unified, he'll go on to actually talk about to be unified, you have to be humble. You have to humble yourself as well. But that would be for a different point in Peter's list. And then John 3, uh, 13 tells us, they're going to know your Christians by our love for one another. They're going to know. The evidence is going to be, how do you love one another? How do you treat one another? You ever seen a family that they just, they just interact? It seems like they interact so well. Now, granted, we've got social media now. We can throw things up on social media and we can put on a little bit of a, a facade. But let's just say if it was so true that there are certain families, they interact really well. The relationships, how they encourage one another, how they love one another, how they enjoy and have fun together. And you look sometimes and go, man, that's just, that seems to just be a family that loves each other. And what are you saying? The evidence of what I'm seeing tells me that there is love there. And John's in a very real way saying, look, they're going to know you're this thing called Christians by how you love one another, how you care for another. Hey, are we supposed to go out and love others too besides ourselves? Absolutely, it's all throughout the New Testament, right? But here's a passage where John is actually saying, you're going to be identified by how you love one another as well and care for one another and treat one another and reach out to one another when's needed. Life worth it is built on the harmony of believers. It's built that way. We can't be in conflict in the church world. We can't be in conflict here. Life Community is a wonderful church across the street, and as you drive by it, you might have noticed a very much larger church than us, right? We're not in competition with them. They're not in competition with us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
that church and every single other church out there. And if we were to go over there and their style was totally different, what's that to us? There's no conflict there. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. Equally here when we're in this place, will you enjoy every person? No, right? I might annoy many of you. It's okay. You might annoy me, right? (laughs) We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a unity that has to happen among us because our unity, our focus is Christ in the mission he has put us on. Life worth it rises above those other things and is built on harmony among believers. Do you need to be challenged with that this morning? In your own spirit, do you need to be challenged? Have you, do you come in and you say, I want to just join in with the unity of the spirit? Or are you at opposition at times? Second thing he says is to be sympathetic, which actually means to suffer with and lovers of your fellow believers. Paul equally writes about this. This shows up at other times. And he says, look, be happy with happy, cry with those who are crying. So it's easy to rejoice sometimes with those who rejoice. It might be a little harder to cry with those who cry. But Paul is basically saying, look, engage with those when they're going through their greatest moments or their worst moments. You know, I actually saw on social media, somebody last night uh, was very excited about two football teams that lost yesterday. And I'll mess it up if I remember the teams, right? But that person's team then later lost in the evening. But they actually said, I am more happy about those teams losing than my team winning. I don't understand that mindset. Paul certainly doesn't understand that mindset. But to be happy with those who are happy, to cry with those who cry. That's what he's talking about, to be sympathetic, to feel and to be there right with them along with it. In Hebrews 13, 3, he continues, remember prisoners as if what? You were one of them is what that passage says. You understand what he's saying? Look, think about those who have been incarcerated as if you were one of them. Now, There's an extra component going on that you need to remember in the suffering uh, department here. And that is that if if you were, uh, there was a charge against you, if there was an accusation against you, you could be taken and you could be held for three days in the Roman system, right? Didn't need to have any reason for it. It was three days why they figure out, right? You've seen this on police shows where somebody's taken in and then the police captain at some point says, you know, just kick them. They, we can't come up with anything. Let them go, right? You, that, that type of thing happens in our crime show. Same kind of thing for three days. If there was multiple charges against you, multiple accusations, you could be held up to 10 days there. So that component is at play as well, to think about your fellow believers who have been incarcerated, who have been taken in because they have been uh, claims against them likely for their Christianity as well. Peter, later on in this very uh, book that we're looking at, he says, we all walk the same path. Saying, look, we all at some point deal with these same kind of things. It's someone else today. It's you later down the road. So walk the path with somebody and care for them with it. So a life worth it is built on walking with others, walking along with others. I've told you many times, ministry is messy. If you want to be involved in ministry, it's messy. You're like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be involved in ministry, right? Well, you, get, you don't get a choice in it. As a Christian, you are a minister. You're involved in it, and ministry is messy. 
You get involved in your neighbor's life because there's hardship going on over there. Guess what? At some point, it's going to get messy. When you care for situations, when you offer of yourself, it gets messy. But Peter is saying, look, one of the things that we have to be defined by as Christians is I'm willing to go get messy. I'm willing to get in there, to be happy with them, to cry with them, to suffer with them. I'm willing to be lovers of them throughout that. He goes on to say to be compassionate. And the word for compassionate is kind-hearted. But it doesn't mean what you think it means, right? You want to know what it means in the original language, the kind-hearted? You're not going to know this. It's from the bowels. Did you know that? From the bowels is what it means. We don't think about that often when we think of heart, right? Have a heart for that, for me, from our bowels. When we think from our bowels, you know, that's something uh, totally different. Um, here's why it became that. Because when they would think about caring for somebody and having a heart for somebody, they wanted to have a heart for somebody like that, to describe it like something that had action. And, you know, you don't often like hear your heart throughout the day. You know, maybe if you have a heart issue or maybe if you've been working out and your heart is racing and those type of things. But do you hear, do you hear and feel your bowels throughout the day? Probably more so when you're eating and you're digesting and they're making noise or things are moving around in there. And so it developed as a thought that that was the active place in their body. For us, like we've got so much more knowledge behind this of the physical body. So it seems very strange to us that we would say like the seat of emotion in us is my bowels, right? We don't, we don't think that way. But that's how they would think. So they would say basically this is to be compassionate and kind-hearted meant action. You were doing something. You were feeling something. You were hearing something. And so to be kind-hearted wouldn't be sitting at your house when you hear about something happens with somebody and go, well, that's, that's just terrible. I hate to hear that. Well, on to our next thing. What's on TV? You know, for them, the whole thing is about how do we respond? How do we act? What do we do that's why the seat was from the bowels, the emotional response. That is kind-hearted. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, I'll just give you one of these. Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them, kind-hearted on them. Why? Because they were troubled. He saw the crowd. They were troubled. They were hurting. And he was moved. And he had compassion on this crowd to care for them in some way. A life worth it is a life that finds its way to empathy. Empathy when you're feeling for somebody, when there is a response to what you're feeling there. That is empathy. When, when you find your way to empathy, when there is this drive and heart to say, I need, I need to do something here. Many of you, you've been following the situation with Angel and Faith uh, and Angel is still in Colombia. This is the Ball family, the two young girls that they're caring for. Still in Colombia, still in the hospital. The, uh, the uh, intestines are still not functioning properly. And so there's a question mark of what will be next, but likely whatever it is will be something that's long-term, that will stick with her a long time, some type of care treatment. We don't know what it is yet. They're still working on it. Some of you, your empathy there, your compassion there has compelled you to do something. You know, the desire, can I put together a care thing and send it down there? Can I give money to help them with whatever extra expenses? That's what we're talking about here. And the church became known for these type of things, to care for people, to say, I can't just leave it like it is. I have to do something about it. 
I might have shared with you before that one of the common practices in the Roman Empire was the, the practice of erasure. And this is basically what would happen is if you had a, a child born and you weren't satisfied with that child, maybe it wasn't a boy and it wasn't going to be that male heir you were hoping for, you just leave it on the side of the road. If it was born with some deformity or some, something was off, you just leave it on the side of the road. In their law, in their system, you're not killing that baby you know, the gods are, our nature is. Christians could not stand for this. Christians said, no, we're not going to have this. So we, basically Christians started to take these babies in and raise them as their own. That is this empathy that goes to the point of, I have to act, I have to do something. And that is what Peter is talking about here. And Paul equally speaks about, that's the heart of Jesus. Life worth it finds its way to empathy. I wonder if God has been pushing on you to be empathetic, kind-hearted, to let it really come from your bowels, let there be an emotional, emotional and active response to something that maybe you've allowed your schedule or something else to be the barrier to actually stepping out and do it. Here's the next thing. He says, to modest in your opinion of yourself, right? Modest or humble, he says later in this letter to serve one another. That's what we need to do. It's hard to serve one another when, when your opinion is so high of yourself. Paul picks up on this, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who says, who says, he puts it in question form, who says that you're better than others? He's questioning, believe who says that you're better than others? He actually says this three different times, back-to-back sentences, three times there. Why do you think so highly of yourself? Who came along and said you were better than others? You are saved in Christ, but we don't go around acting uh, better than others is what Paul is challenging them. He says at, uh, others in, in, chapter, uh, in Romans chapter 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. And Peter picks it up as well in, in this letter, as, we, as we've said. He is borrowing from Paul and P- Jesus for this teaching he's speaking about, being modest in your opinion of each other. How many of you just love to spend time with somebody who just talks about themselves or promotes themselves all the time? You're like, do you love that? Probably not. You probably look on how to be away from that person. Or when you're with somebody else, you say, I need to talk to them. I need to say something to that person, right? And we hardly ever do. Peter's saying, look, we can't, we can't be what we want to be in Christ. If we put ourselves up above and we think of ourselves higher than other people. Indirectly, we actually create another caste system where we say, I'm here and other people are here. I told you ministry is messy. God doesn't even want you to jump into ministry and a mission and a heart for other people to be active and to go and to navigate in that saying, well, I'm active, I'm helping, I'm the minister up here and they are the wretched ones down here that I need to help he doesn't even want us to look at it that way. Now he goes back and he challenges them there. So don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. Is that your knee jerk ever? It goes all the way back to Leviticus, which is funny because we like to quote the law that says eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? So we misquote it. We take those out of context when we do that. Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, don't hold grudge or take revenge against people. Just don't, don't hold grudge. Don't take revenge. That comes all the way back where God is speaking uh, to them here. 
Later in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, don't say I'll repay evildoers. Instead, wait for, and I like how he says this, wait for the Lord's deliverance for you. Wait for the Lord to deliver you from this situation or wait for the Lord's deliverance to guide you through this and give you a better way to deal with this situation rather than to repay evil with evil. So a life worth it? A life worth it avoids the immaturity of a like response. Do you understand the immaturity of the like response? Whatever you do, I'm going to respond exactly the same way. Certainly, there's good ways to do this, right? You compliment, I compliment you back. We have a little compliment battle. That'd be great. But in this, we're talking about when we want to respond evil with evil or insult to insult. Boy, does social media make this easy, does it not? Can I give you a little tip? And and you probably know this. Do you know that no argument has ever been won on social media? Like in the history of social media, no argument has ever been won. Nobody's ever made a great point on social media that somebody else has come back and said, oh, I see your point. I changed my way. No, it doesn't happen. Instead, what we have is this insult for insult, right? Back and forth. And we get going into this. We get sucked into this. But the life worth it avoids the immaturity of the like response. And Peter's saying, look, you're going to get persecuted. It, it's happening right now. More is coming. We don't respond to that by going out and wanting to be violent or to persecute back. We respond in a totally different way. And that's hard for us sometimes. That might be hard for you sometimes to think about responding differently. Instead, he says, give blessing in return. So he doesn't just say, look, don't respond with evil. Don't respond with an insult. He then gives us this directive, what seems to make no sense for us, or it's so counterculture. He says, instead, offer a blessing back to them. Offer that instead. Matthew 6, uh, 12, part of the Sermon on the Mount, we learn Jesus teaches us in the prayer to forgive others. Just like you've been forgiven, forgive other people. Notice there's not followed by a list of stipulations. Forgive them when they do this. If they will come to you and they will ask for your forgiveness, go ahead and forgive them. It just says to forgive them. Seemingly the directive is just this is who we're going to be and what we're going to be about. That's a blessing offered in return to them. Paul picks up on this. He says, don't pay evil action with evil action. Saying like, don't do evil things back. And in Ephesians, he actually says it this way, make every effort to preserve unity, to preserve. Evil for evil, insult for insult, it breaks down the community and the unity he's talked about and the one mind he's talked about already. So preserve it at all costs, preserve unity. Tom, does that mean I just need to bite my tongue? Yeah, sometimes. Bite it, bite it hard, right? But here's what I've learned. The more I commune with Christ, the more I understand his ways, the more I let his word kind of penetrate me, the more I say, if this is God's word, what's one thing I would do different this week? And I live out that and act that one thing out and keep adding to it. These things become so much easier, so much easier to offer a blessing in return. We've been conditioned to go with these things as our culture does or as our world does. And Peter is saying, look, verse chapter one, God's way is better. Chapter two, so don't do these things. Instead, do this. Give a blessing and a return. So a life that's worth it 
chooses to build life in other people. Well, I gave you the question at the end to walk through here. It's simply this. If I believe this is the word of God, what's one thing I would do different this week? You had a nice list, and it's all often easy when the writers put a list together. Which one of these things or which one or two of these things would you say, here's something I would do different this week? And I'd be intentional this week in one of these areas. So I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I'm going to let you do your own business with God on this. And my prayer is that you would come out of this time with one thing written down that you would say, I'm going to do this differently if this is the word of God. If I believe this is the word of God, this is what I'll do differently from here on out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being direct with us, for challenging us on who we're to be in Christ. And Lord, I know for some of us where we're at right now is it just comes off kind of as a list of what to do and what not to do the last two weeks because we don't understand being empowered by you. When we say your way is better, when we claim your salvation. But Father, I'm praying this morning that as we say, I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to let the Holy Spirit lead and empower me. That we'd look at this list and say, this is what I want to be. This is who I want to be in Christ. This is what I want the church to be. So let me give you just a moment. If there be one thing this morning, the word of God would have you do different. Talk to God about it right now. Father, would you empower your saints here at Wendover Hills? Would you empower them to live out now? Lord, would their face be turned to you each day to look at you and to receive from you, to know they're loved and they're cared for, that you are God who loves them and that you claim who they are just in you creating us. But Father, there's also something you've called us up to be as well. And may this week and whatever one thing they spoke to you about, Lord, could they go out here and walk with you and be that this week? And Lord, would they be a blessing to others in it? Would somebody in their life see this this week? And would it be a sweet witness to them? We pray in your son's name. Amen.